Welcome to the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas, and this is the place where Kingdom Heirs go to be informed and inspired. So sit back, relax, and flow with me. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas, and I'm just blessed to be back for another episode of this podcast. Um, I just wanted to thank those that are listening for the first time and those who are repeat listeners for joining. I pray that information that's shared will help you get the inspiration or help you draw inspiration so that you can be the heir that you are destined and created to be. Um, This episode, I, I, I call it Money Talks, and you know, with everything that I do and understanding from this podcast, from the perspective of what, what I want to present in this podcast, it's about a kind of a totality approach with prosperity. And, you know, part of prosperity and, and being being prosperous in what you do, you know, there is a financial component to that. And so this episode, I really want to talk about money, um, not just money itself, but more so how you manage money and just give you some different perspectives about money. Um, things that I researched and, you know, things that I knew and some new things that was that was just, you know, it was just very interesting. And I thought, you know, this is something that I definitely want to share with my listeners. Uh, I want to start off with a few quotes. Um, and these are quotes that, you know, some of you may have heard. Well, these are quotes about, you know, money and managing money. The first quote is, uh, it says that no matter what your financial status is, you will never increase your wealth without understanding money. And I think it's very important that, you know, money is more than just what's printed on the paper, the coins that are, are pressed. You know, it's, it's more than the electronic transfers, transfer of your currency and all that stuff, cryptocurrency, stocks, whatever has a value that can be something that can be monetized or just the transfer of money, just money in general. You have to understand that you can make a lot of money, but if you want to increase your wealth, you have to understand how money flows. You have to understand, you know, how money works. And I think it's very important that, you know, it's not just about going to work getting a paycheck, you know, putting some money to the side for, you know, savings and sp- spend the rest on, you know, your bills and other things that are your your necessities that you that you pay off monthly, hopefully if you have a budget. But money is more than that because most people if they're honest will want to increase the their wealth. Most people will say that if they're honest about it, they want to increase their wealth. People some people will say they're comfortable, but at times you're you're never really a hundred percent comfortable, you know. And, and I haven't reached that level. Where I'm comfortable now. I know that God has taken me and my family to greater heights financially, and it's a continual process. But I never feel like the target is always just set. It's a static target. It's a dynamic target, at least for me. And I, and I think for most people, you know. You have this vision. I want to make X amount of money. And when you make that money, you find out that it's not as much as you thought it was. Um, And then, you know, just with cost of living and everything else, you know, especially if you're working a job, you have to figure out like, okay, this this really isn't going to work. 
So I have to change my perspective and understand more about money. It's not just about how much you make, but it's how you manage how much you make. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, another quote that I want to bring up is uh, it says, sometimes it's not about the money, but rather the process of managing money. And again, you know, understanding money and understanding that you have to manage it. It's not going to manage itself. You know, whether you have, you know, no matter if you have a financial advisor, somebody that's helping to manage your your your, your money um, or it's you, you've got to understand it. And so I did some some research because I wanted to understand, you know, there, there's a misconception and it is a misconception that, you know, there are certain occupations where everybody assumes that they are, you know, the top ones, the top um, occupations for millionaires in the country. And so in my study, I found there was a, there was a 2018 national study of millionaires and, you know, the top three professions, you know, it's going to shock you. And, and this is kind of where I want to go with the whole piece about managing money. Now, the first two, um, occupations or professions wasn't really shocking. It was more so, you know, I, I can see that. The, number one was an accountant. Uh, number two was engineer. You know, and those, I know they can be, you know, especially as an engineer and even in accounting, if, you know, if you own your own firm or you have multiple clients and, you know, different things like that. I, I can see accountants and engineers being kind of up there when it comes to, you know, millionaires that's in the country. But the third one was very interesting to me. And the third one was a school teacher. So, you know, of course, my I was shocked because I'm like school teacher, you know, and I and I realized because I have I know several people that are school teachers and I feel it's a it's really a crime for the amount of money they pay a school teacher um, to do what they do, which is, you know, educate our children. And, you know, I don't think they get I don't think teachers get enough um, definitely don't get enough pay, but I don't think they get enough respect. And, and, you know, when it comes to the amount of pay that they earned for teaching our kids, um, because they're not babysitting they're they're there to do a job. They're there to educate our kids and give them a foundational piece that's going to help them be successful in society. And knowing a lot of teachers, I just know from a personal standpoint that, you know, what they make is, is, you know, shouldn't be, it's not fair, but, their love for the profession is what drives them to do it. But just understanding that, you know, from a millionaire standpoint, you say, well, how does a teacher become a millionaire? Why are there so many millionaires that are teachers? Well, a millionaire can take an average income and they can leverage it into wealth by making smart choices. Again, being able to make smart choices with your money, it's not about how much you make. It's taking it and saying, okay, I can live off of this, I want to invest a great portion of this. Now, teachers, most teachers, you know, again, been around some and they live, you know, I won't say modest, but, you know, if it's especially if it's one income, you know, they had two incomes. You know, sometimes they do things to make it make it work. But I said, well, why why are teachers? Why are they able to do what they do? And it's just making smart money decisions. And so I looked at the flip side. Now, what's one occupation that people, you know, associate with, you know, high income, you know, and they think they're probably all millionaires and that's physicians, doctors. 
you know, some people assume that physicians would be kind of up there as as a millionaire, just they're, that their most doctors are millionaires. You know, that that's always the assumption because they're like, oh, doctors get paid so much money. They go to school for so long. And, you know, it, it's a bad perception. So just understanding that the, the reason why a physician, you know, somebody coming out of med school and, you know, going into the field and starting their work as a doctor, the reason why they aren't millionaires, um, you know, in that top three list. Um, and I can't remember what the rest, you know, how far down they were. But you have to understand the average physician that comes out of med school, unless they were able to go, you know, with some kind of private scholarship or some kind of scholarship funding, they usually have greater than $250,000 in student loan debt. So you have to think about that. When a physician completes med school, they're usually around 25 to 30 and they have $250,000 in debt. And so when you think about that, you know, you do three or six years of training, you know, you know, they do training, residencies, whatever. Um, and, and during this time, these aren't high earning years for a doctor. You know, they're they're not earning a lot of money. And in the meantime, they still have that huge student loan debt that's lingering. Um, and then when they get into their mid-30s, they start building on their net worth. Well, it's a little different because when a teacher comes out, you know, if they come out, come out of school, they get a job, you know, it, they may not be earning a lot, but they're getting a fairly steady paycheck. So they know kind of what their paycheck is going to be. Um like I said before, they're underpaid, but if they start managing at that point in time, you know, you come out of college, let's just say you're, you know, your early 20s, you know, you come out with a better standpoint in terms of probably less student loan debt if you have any student loan debt to pay back. Um, and, I, and I say this because I know it's all relative to the to the position and it's relative to um you know, the, edu the the degree that you're getting, but the, the understanding is if you can manage it and, and have a smaller amount of debt and manage smartly, you know, you can be a millionaire teacher. Um, but if they manage their money wisely, they will eliminate their debt and they can usually do it in the first 10 to 15 years out of school. So you think about that. They're early 20s coming out. And by the time they get to their mid 30s, you know, and it, it could be sooner you know, on average, a teacher could probably pay off their loan and any major debts if they're managing their money wisely. So I use that and I'll go back to why I use that example, because it all comes around a misconception around starting salaries for both of those positions, you know, between a physician and a, and a, and a teacher. And it just comes down to one you know, how much debt you're starting with and then how much financial discipline you have. How are you managing your money? And, and that is so, so important. You have to have financial discipline. So when you talk about financial discipline, you know, a lot of times there's two things that you can look at, you know, that you need that you should be doing with within the financial discipline. You know, you should be saving and investing consistently. The key, you save some, invest some. Now, when I say save, you know, and, and when you go deeper into it, you know, there's there's the old adage that you should save, save, save. You know, if you don't spend, save it. 
And what we're finding out now, as, as I'm becoming more educated about just finances and wealth, you waste money just leaving, you waste, you're wasting your money just leaving it in an account, just a standard account where it's gaining less than 1% interest, if any, you know, some, you know, if it, it could be a whole lot less than that, but it's very low instead of taking a good portion of that money and putting into investments that can get you anywhere, you know, a higher amount, you know, we're talking eight to, you know, 20% growth, you know, year over year, which is going to be more than just sitting it into a, a traditional, you know, savings or checking account. Now you always have to have the money you need to operate, but in everything else should really be invested and it's a different concept because most people usually want to see their money in the bank. They want to pull up their bank account. And they want to see the all the, the, the money that they've been earning sitting in that account. And the thing is, that balance doesn't grow. That doesn't help move the needle for your wealth. It doesn't increase you. Um, it shows that you can save, which is, a, which is good. You, you should be able to save money. But you're missing out on so much other, so many other things um, from from not being able to use it in smart investments. Most millionaires invest monthly into something. So this is still part of that save and invest consistently. Most millionaires invest monthly into something. Stocks, 401k, IRAs, 403bs, um, you know, even if you're smart, you, you do research, crypto, real estate, um, you know, high interest or high. What is it? High interest bonds, you know, investing in things that, you know, are going to appreciate and it's going to do more than the money that's just going to sit in your account. The other part of financial discipline is uh, that you shouldn't spend what you don't have. Don't spend what you don't have. There really isn't a such thing as a good debt. And I think for those that are not disciplined, there there definitely isn't a good debt. If you purchase something and can't sell it for more than what you pay for it, it's a liability or a debt. And that's just the basic way you have to look at it. You purchase a car, especially one brand new, it depreciates. And I use that all the time because that's one of the classic examples. It is not going to make you, you're not going to sell that car for more than what you paid for it. And if you even people that go and do all these modifications and all that stuff, the car continues to depreciate. It looks cool. It may give you a couple of dollars, but it's not going to be enough to to make it into more of an asset. So you really have to think about that and, and looking at the, the mind and being able to discipline yourself to save and invest and only spend what you need to spend. Don't spend what you don't have to, or don't spend what you don't have. And that means leave the credit alone. You know, if you're not good at, if you're not disciplined, you shouldn't be trying to use credit because you're going to find yourself in a whole different ball game and, and, and you're going to find yourself deeper in debt if you're not smart enough or disciplined, I'm not going to say smart enough, but disciplined enough because you got to be disciplined. Credit can be a great thing and it's a great tool and credit scores. And, you know, it shows that 
know, the kind of person you are and when people want to, you know, if you want to invest and people want to invest in you or allow you to uh, borrow money or things from them, they want to see that you have some kind of credit history and that gives them a lot about a person. And that's okay, but again, it comes with that discipline. You know, I want to go back, just to continue to talk about just with financial discipline and going back to, you know, teachers and doctors and and the, the perceived lifestyles that most people think about when they think of a doctor. You know, when you see a doctor, most people think that doctor probably drives a nice electric car, lives in a good neighborhood, kids go to some of the best schools, and it's it's a lifestyle, right? Because a doctor makes a lot of money. And they and they make good money and, and they should, but it's all about how it's managed. You know, they're supposed to have the luxury houses. But some of the doctors, and I'm gonna say all of them, but there's a good deal that remain in debt because they start off with a quarter million in student loan debt, and then they have to furnish their lavish lifestyle that they feel like they must leave because they are a doctor. And it's a perception. I'm a doctor. I have to have a Mercedes or a BMW. You know, I have to drive those cars. I I should drive those cars. How can I pull up to an office as a doctor and I'm not driving something that's that's nice? I worked hard for this. Um, And we're going to talk about that. Just that whole mindset of I worked hard for this. I deserve this. I'm a doctor. I, I need to have this. I can't be a doctor and drive, you know, a regular old car. So it's a perception. And then you have teachers who are expected to live this modest life. They're, they barely have money to survive. They should live in small, nice, you know, getting modest homes, driving modest vehicles. And I always think about, and I've made this statement before on social media. I was, you know, because I watch, I love watching HDTVs and just HDTV and different shows um, on there. And one of them, um, I believe, one of the shows I watch is like House Hunters. And there's always this scenario where, you have a husband and wife who are both teachers. They've got like two kids, a dog, and their budget is like $1.5 million for a house. And I'm sitting there thinking like, how is it that two teachers on the income that teachers have can jump from a house and get a, can jump from, you know, not having a home or having a very small home to all of a sudden their budget is $1.5 million. Like, how is that? How do you do that? And, and I've made jokes about it. Like I need to get wherever they teach it. I need to teach. But as I've been really educating myself, it's not about how much they make. It's what they do and how they manage what they make. Now, your finances you know, won't change unless you change your behavior. And that's simple. I think about my wife and I, you know, um, and and we kind of experience this, you know, you get to a place where you start making more money. And if you keep that same mindset for how you've managed money in the past, it won't change the position you're in. You know, we, we would and there was times when when we were young in our marriage and, you know, one of us got promoted or a new job and we just felt like, OK, now we got a little we got some more money. Now we want to go out there and do you know, buy the things that we couldn't buy or, you know, look at new cars or, you know, oh, we can we making more money a month. We can afford a better car or we can, you know, spend more on this or we can do that now instead of thinking, 
instead of, you know, eventually we got to the place where it's like, okay, we're making more money. That's good. But we need to maintain the lifestyle or the, or the, the way we've been living. And it, it was a, it was a battle. It was kind of an internal conflict with me because my faith is telling me that I'm not going to, I shouldn't limit myself. But then from a financial standpoint, you know, there's a struggle of, or this challenge of, you know, you've got to, you've got to save, you've got to budget, don't take off, don't bite off more than you can chew. You know, the, the, the things that most people would tell you, like you're making more money, take that money and use that towards other things, paying off stuff, um, not buying new cars, but paying down whatever debt you have or building savings or even investing, you know, and, and earlier on, we didn't invest. Now we had, we started getting into 401ks and stuff like that. But when it came to investing stocks, I didn't invest in stocks. I think my, my mindset around stocks back then was it's a, it was kind of like gambling. And of course it was gambling to me because I wasn't educated. And here I am now, I'm starting to get more educated on stocks. And, you know, as I previous episode, when I had Joel on here, um, you know, he was talking about just, just investing and trading in stocks. And, you know, I got a different mindset when I started following him, you know, at the beginning of this year or towards the more sorts of the end of last year. But for us, you know, as a, as a couple, we had to change our mindset about just investing in general. And it was a challenge. Um, but then my wife, she's good with, she was always good with the numbers she was always good with, you know, help from the financial standpoint. And I say that all the time because she was and she is. She still is. But we just got this point where it's like, you know, I feel like I deserve this. Or we've been working hard. We should go out and buy this or we should go out and I want to go get some more clothes. We should go on a shopping spree or, you know, I want to do this or that. And it, it wasn't like long term things. Sometimes it was a car that was involved. You know, it's like, well, we're paying this much. We can afford to have a, a little bit of a bigger car note. So we might have been paying for something for this car. Well, we're making more money. Let's go pay. You know, we can afford, you know, five or six something for that car. And next thing you know, that that difference in the new salary that we that we've gotten from the old, it's eaten up from small things small things. It, it, well, a car is not a small thing, but it doesn't take long to get eat up that difference. And so I think that was, that was one of the most challenging parts of, of where we started off at because the mindset, we just had to really change our mind and, and stop thinking about, you know, the emotional side of, of money. And that's that's one of the interesting parts because, you know, I'll refer back to Joel when he talked about investing in the stocks, um, you know, and I would advise everybody to go back and listen to the episode WWJD. Well, what would Joel do? Because, you know, in it, we talked about investing and just, you know, making sure that there's a strategy. You don't go into investing in the stocks without a strategy and you shouldn't go into investing anything or investing in anything with your money without having a strategy or understanding behind it. Because if you do, you're basically gambling. You're taking unnecessary risks that you, that you really shouldn't even put yourself or put yourself in a position to be in. So, 
you know, having a strategy around your money, you know, understanding what you want your money to do with you, you direct your money. You know, this is this this isn't about the other part of it where, you know, I talk about from a faith standpoint and with sowing and reaping and getting into that. This is about what you have being good stewards of it and being good stewards of your money is not throwing it in a bank account and just letting it sit there and, and essentially hoarding it and expecting to become rich off of it because you're 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 not you're just not going to be rich you know unless you just change your lifestyle so much that when you're so much of a minimalist that you can take that money you're saving majority of your money but if you're doing that if you are doing that you're missing so much you're missing so much from an investing standpoint to be able to get to that, to that wealthy place that you desire to be. And you have to desire that. You have to want that. You have to say, this is where I want to be. I want to be a millionaire. And these days, a millionaire is just basically a thousandaire. Billionaire is kind of the new millionaire because there's a shift. Things are, you know, money is shifting so fast in our society and what we're seeing across the, across the globe. And this time of day, you know, there's so many millionaires being made overnight from different things. You know, there's people that are becoming millionaires off of cryptocurrency, off of, you know, a stock that's considered a meme stock because it was on some Reddit post and a bunch of people got behind it. And so they drove that company's value up and a bunch of people invested in it. And now they're becoming millionaires overnight. I mean, it doesn't take much. You go viral, become an Internet sensation, become an influencer you know, you get verified on, on Instagram or, you know, have so many followers on social media that can happen overnight because there are billions of people that are looking at this stuff and you can become a millionaire so fast. But if you don't have good money managing skills or people to help you manage them properly, you are going to waste the fortune that you have gained so fast. Just as quickly as you get it, you're going to lose it. So one of the quotes that um, or I guess it would be more of a quote that I want to throw out at this point is you will never gain wealth if you make purchases because you feel deprived if you don't have something. And I don't necessarily I won't say it's a I guess I shouldn't say that it's necessarily a quote. It's more so a thought process. You know, these are things that will stop you from getting to the place you want to be financially. So I'll repeat that one. You will never gain wealth if you make purchases because you feel deprived, if you don't have something. So how many times have you gone somewhere, gone out to the store, you're at the mall shopping or, you know, you're just doing some window shopping or online shopping and you see something. And you're like, man, I really want that. And if I don't get it, I just don't I, want, I don't feel right. I don't feel like, you know, I feel like I, I, I should get this. Like you feel like you, you have to have it. And it's almost like that, that keeping up with the Jones syndrome. You know, it's like I got to So and so has this car. You know, they got the car and I want that car and they got it. I need to go and get it, you know, because that's what I, I wanted to get. You, you, you start putting yourself in a position where you have you're having to keep up with those around you. Not understanding that they may or may not be managing their money wisely. But you know the position that you're in. And it's key to keep that position. And I think that's, it's understanding where you're at. 
understanding and having a plan or a vision for yourself financially, just like you do in anything else. You have to understand where you're at and where you want to go. And and at that point, you have to make sacrifices. You have to take the emotion out. Now, on the flip side, there is the, the faith piece to it. And through prayer and, and, you know, having a relationship with God, he will lead you to things and help you along the way. So if there are things that you desire and God is, is, you know, always in a position of wanting to bless you, he wants to take care of his, his, his children. If you're doing the things and showing that you're good stewards with what you have, you'll see doors open up. That would allow those things, material, whatever, to come to you. And you won't have to toil over it or go work extra jobs and do a bunch of different things to get it. You won't have to stress about it. And I I like saying that because, you know, having the right attitude about the blessings that you have today and managing what God has, you know, given you and being appreciative of that in a right way will help you to to not feel deprived. And then when you get things, you'll be very appreciative of it and how you got it because you didn't have to, you know, go out there and do something that was just so, you know, you don't have to go out there yourself and do something, you know, like that's just, that just makes you or just takes takes you away from your element, takes you away from your family. Like I got to go work three or four jobs just to afford this car that I just, I just knew I needed, I needed to have this car because, you know, it's a symbol, it's a status symbol, it's something that I got to have, I deserve this. And that's the the next one that I'm going to talk about is, you know, you believe that you deserve every purchase. It's everything you get, you buy, you like, you know, I buy this because I deserve it. And that is your thought process. That is, and I say your, that is my thought process. There's been times where I'll go out and say, you know what? Especially when I bought video games all the time, like, you know what? This is a $60 video game. Why do I have to feel like I can't go out and buy myself a $60 video game? I work hard. I work hard. You know, I make decent money. Surely we can afford that. You know, and just because I work, it doesn't mean that I get a chance to wait or I get the opportunity to waste all the hard earned money on items that have no real value. And some people say, well, you got to, you know, take care of yourself and this, that, and the other. And I a hundred percent agree. You have to do things for yourself, but that video game wasn't necessary or those video games or that pair, those pairs of shoes and, you know, going to get this or getting that there, there are times when you have to do some sacrifice again, not put yourself through, you know, poverty and have a poverty mindset because that's where you have to really balance between, you know, am I doing this with a poverty mindset or am I, you know, going out there and really just, you know, trying to spend recklessly or, you know, there, there's always that constant struggle. And that's what I have. You know, I have to think about certain things like, am I choosing not to buy this because, you know, I choose not to buy it. And I know that right now this isn't the season to get it. Or is my poverty mindset saying you don't need that or you can't afford that. And, there, and then it, it's a, a thing of fear where I'm not going to get that because I'm scared of what it's going to bring to, you know, what that cost, what's that going to cost me what that, what that thing will cost me. You know, so, you know, if, if you budget for an allowance, 
And, and I say this too, and I, and I know a lot of people who get into financial advising and, and, or I've read it, you know, I always talk about this thing about an allowance, you know, and if you budget for it to give yourself an allowance after you've, you know, paid your bills and you've got money put up in savings and investment accounts and things like that. So you've kind of allocated your money in different buckets based off of the plan you have. And if it's a plan for you to have money set aside, you know, for you to sort of splurge on, you know, and, and that shouldn't be a huge amount because you really should be investing majority of your money. But if you give yourself an allowance, then that's fine. If you stay within that budget for your allowance, if you pay yourself every two weeks when you get paid, you know, you keep that budget and you don't go over that allowance. It's not about what you owe, but sometimes people put that in there and that's fine if you plan for it that way. But, you know, recklessly spending your money is not going to help you get wealthy. And that that's the whole part. That's the big part about the whole management piece um, of your money. So it, it's real important. I mean, it is real important. And I, I know, I mean, my wife and I, we've done it several times. We sit there and be like, man, I got car fever. And he sit there like, I can afford this car. And that, that's, that's where, that's where things start to get crazy. Cause like, I can't afford this. We can't afford this. We can afford this car. So why, why don't we have it? Why are we depriving ourselves? We deserve that car. We've been driving this car for X number of years and still looks good, but you know, we got we got to get another car and not thinking about how can I position myself to pay cash for a car. And a lot of people don't think, well, I'm like, I couldn't say a lot of people. I know it's sometimes hard for me to even fathom that. And, and, you know, especially back in the day, like a car that I like may cost $60,000. You know, so one of the cars that I want to get is a Tesla and I've gone out there and I built it on a website and, you know, I know it's going to cost, you know, close to 60,000 for it. For some people, they're like sixty thousand, and that's not a that shouldn't be a bad car note. I'm sure you trade in something, blah blah blah. Doesn't matter, you know. I have to think about, you know, am I one? You know, my faith is like that's the car you're going to get it, and so I always look at them. You know, I'm going out to test drive them. I'm always online researching things about them, but I know what that car is going to cost. Now, do I need to go out there and get it? Can I afford it? Can my wife and I afford to get it? Yeah, we can. But at what cost? Or what about take the money? And again, I, I referenced this, you know, with what we talked about on on the WWJ, WWJD episode of the podcast um, with Joel Rodney Harrison on it. And I, and I talk we talked about that, but, you know, the, the term stock mortgage. You know, what he did when he wanted to buy his, you know, his his Tesla is he basically went and found here's the price of it. Here's the price that he would pay. Here's what his monthly notes would probably be. And he took that money and each month over the course of, you know, a couple of years, he invested. He He basically took that money that his monthly note would be for that car. He didn't put it in a bank. He invested it. So when it came down to, you know, his account expanded because he made smart investment choices, his account expanded with that money 
and he was able to buy not only the, his dream car, but his wife got a Tesla out of it. So he got a BMW, one of those BMW i series, um, kind of hybrid vehicles. And then his wife got, you know, a Tesla and he did that based off the investment that he did. And it didn't, it didn't take him five years. I don't think, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was just the fact that he made smart decisions about doing it and, and being disciplined. He managed his money so that he waited, he sacrificed for a few more because he could have went out there and he, I'm sure he could have went out there and said, you know what, I'm just going to buy this and pay the note on it. But he's paying all that interest and, you know, it's a depreciating asset or an appreciating, it's not an asset, but it's a depreciating item. And at the end of the day, you know, you're going to pay it off in five years. And you're going to, you know, in doing so, you're going to pay, you know, a lot more based off of the, the amortization of the, the, the loan that you have to finance it. But what if you can pay it off in cash? Well, can you wait five years? Can you find ways to invest it and flip it? You may have the money now. Okay, well, let me take this money each month. And what if I put it into, you know, some type of, um, you know, like there's companies like Primerica or they do like they do like these um, invest in these different you know EFTs or ETFs. And sorry, they, they invest in these different, you know, um, different trust or different. I can't think of the word now. It slips my mind. But, you know, if you if you know, like ARK investments and stuff like that, these different investment firms and they get their money and they basically take that. And they invest in smaller little things. You know, they put a little bit here, a little bit there. And then at the end of, you know, a certain period, you look back and you say, wow, my, my portfolio has grown, you know, 8 to 15%. And that's typically what you see in some of these um, 401k investments. Or, you know, if you sign up for, like I said, Primerica does it where they have financial services. And they take your money and they invest it in these different accounts. And there's others like that. But... You know, he, you can take that money and you can invest into something like that where you have, you know, a decent amount of growth, more than what you'd have just to keep it in the bank. Or you can learn how to trade stocks or, you know, cryptocurrency, or you can look at real estate investment, just other things where you can say, okay, if I take this money and put it into this, I'm going to get a bigger return. And, you know, it may be a lot bigger than, than, you know, eight, that eight to 15% or 20% or whatever. It could be a bigger, bigger return than that if you make a smart investment. But as always, you know, God gives you more along the way. So it's a, it's a different concept to think about because it's like, I have extra money, but I'm going to take this money and put it somewhere else and, 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 you know, do it with a strategy to grow versus I can have my car now. And just pay on the note now. Why do I have to wait? And that's the that's the difference. Can you wait a few years to pay cash for something and not have a note and probably pay less money? Well, you would pay less money than to go out there and get it now and just get your note because, you know, you don't want to deal with delayed gratif gratification. Like, I want that. I want that 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 feeling now. I don't want to wait because I got the money. That's a bad mentality. That's going to lead me to the next thing. YOLO. You only live once. And that was a model that 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 was a model that a lot of people just followed. Like, oh, I only live once, you know, 
I'll deal with the consequences later. You know, so if you're going to if you're going to stress and be in debt for months over kind of a YOLO experience, and it's going to tarnish the memories that that were supposed to be great that you were making. And, and I say tarnish the memories because when you think about it, how many people have gone on, you know, or you see people go on these big extravagant vacations and they, you know, you know, the flights and the hotels and the food and, you know, all the memorabilia and, you know, little trinkets you want to buy and, you know, the the tours and all that stuff that you want to do. You know, trips can be costly, right? And if you have that YOLO mentality, like, you know what? I, and it kind of goes together, that YOLO mentality or that, you know, you deserve it mentality or, you know, you don't want to deprive yourself kind of thought process. If you have that, then what you would do is go out there and you would go on that trip and you would put most of it on credit cards and you would have all these great experiences. Like I'm just going to charge it up and I'm going to pay it. I'm going to get my refund check or I'll get a bonus at work or, you know, I'll be I'll be fine. You know, I can I can deal with it. So you charge your, you know, one credit card, you charge your tickets on another credit card, you charge your hotel on another credit card. You got, you know, set aside for, you know, food and different stuff. And so by the time you come back from this extravagant vacation, you've had so much fun when you were there. The bills start coming in and now you have to switch into Man, that vacation was cool, but now there's this new stress because I had to figure out I'm gonna pay all this stuff off. You know, we and, and this is stuff that you know I used to think about. Like my wife and I used to always talk about this before when we did where we when we were at a place when we were actually getting a refund from our taxes each year. You know, we always had this. You know, this. And she used to always say, "I want to be able to take the money that we get from our tax refund and just put it up." And this is before we really understood we we really understood about investing in different things. Um, but it was like, hey, you know, we we, we want to be able to put up this money, not we're going to hold off. We, we get something big, especially if you think about the holidays come around. You know, you spend all this money and you're just like, oh, I'll pay this stuff off when I get back. You know, when when you know, once I get my tax refund and. Inevitably, there's there's something that that happened that required us to have to pay more than what we thought. Now, if we were smart with our money and didn't go crazy, we would we would have, you know, that refund could have been used to not just put in the account for that. During that time, it was just we wanted to put it in the account just to have, you know, that rainy day money that, that, you know, it's always planned for doom. But we wanted to have that and be able to see it, you know, grow our savings account. Um, I know that was something my wife and I talked about all the time. You know, we need we want to see our savings account grow and our different checking accounts grow. Um, but of course, end of the year comes around, holiday season. It's like, oh, I'm gonna buy this, buy that. You know, I'll put it on this charge, um, and I'll just pay it off when I get my tax returns. Returns, or you go on that special trip that you want to go on, like I was mentioning earlier. And then you come back from that trip with all these bills. Well, when that happens, when, what do you think about? You, you you lose thought the happy thoughts of the trip because the reality of the fact that I'm going to be paying this trip off for years. And that's why a lot of people don't go on trips because they don't plan to go on the trips. 
they don't budget and put money aside so they can go on a trip debt free. And when my wife and I started doing that, and I and I'm so when I say I'm blessed and thankful for her, when she started figuring out, she would sit down and say, "Okay, Ricky, we need to look at how much it's going to cost to go on this trip." And take into consideration everything and estimate food and all the other stuff. And so she would sit down and work through this, this crunch the numbers and work through the process. And what we would find is, you know, okay, this is how much we need to have. And this is when we're planning on going. So we need to save X amount of money a month. Now, if something happens and, you know, we get some extra money, we can possibly throw it in a pile and, you know, for the trip, if we want to just kind of speed up the process or, you know, whatever the case may be to, to, in terms of saving. But we always used to plan our trips out like a year or so in advance. So when we wanted to go down to Orlando, we would say, okay, well, how much do we think it's going to cost for us to have, um, if we go out to Orlando, how much is it going to cost for us to rent something? You know, we got to a place where we were renting houses through Airbnb or, you know, companies like that. Uh, we didn't really stay at the Disney resorts or Universal resorts or stuff like that. So we knew what the cost was for that. You know, we love to go to the park. So we would look up what the ticket cost would be for all five of us, you know, and that was part of the plan, you know, budget. And, you know, we kind of estimated on food. We've done it long enough. We got we kind of figured out how much we need. We usually bring back money. Uh, but I would rather have more than not enough. And we were disciplined enough just not to go and blow it all, you know, spend it all. Cause we have it like, Oh, we already saved up. We got extra money. No. Cause when we came back, we always came back with money and then that money would go back into our accounts for investing or, you know, just having a little cushion just in case some unexpected stuff comes up. Um, but that took time and it took discipline. You know, we, we learned to manage that. So now we are taking debt free trips. You know, when we went to Italy on our um, for our 15 year anniversary, we went to Italy and we were there for, you know, two weeks. And, you know, we saved up for that trip. You know, we didn't go out there and um, do everything, charge it all up and then come back. And it's like, yeah, we got all these pictures and we went all these places and. You know, here we are two, three years after that, and we're still paying for it. And that was something we didn't want to do. So, you know, we had we basically set aside the money and we may have used our credit cards over there. But we knew as soon as we got back, we were going to deposit that money that we had uh, for the trip into our into our banks and then into our bank accounts. And then we'll pay off the credit cards immediately. We didn't have money that just lingered over. And so I'm sharing that because we weren't always there. There was a process that we had to learn to be disciplined. A lot of it was on me because I'm the free spender for the most part. I'm like, man, I was the one that we work hard. We make we make good money together. There's no reason why we should have to feel like we're depriving ourselves or um, that we deserve this or, you know, we shouldn't feel like we, that we can't deserve. So it's bad for us to deserve this. Or, you know, we only live once. Let's go out there and do this. You know, we'll be okay. Because there's always a, there's always a consequence to that decision. Are you really truly going to be okay? Do you really have the funds planned out to pay this off? Or are you just creating more issues with paying high interest rates on credit cards and things like that when balances are stretched out? Or why do you have to use your tax refund? What if you didn't have to use your tax refund to pay off debt? What if you can just take your tax refund and put it into investments? 
how much better would that change your life? But it, but you have to be able to manage the money properly so that you have, you know, you have the ability to, to, to access that kind of money and you don't have to be debt free or you don't have to occur debts during the year that you had to wait for your, you know, your, um, refund check or, you know, you know, every year you get this bonus and see, I always tell people, especially, you know, people I work with bonuses are never a hundred percent because in your comp, most of the time when you sign on to a company to work there and you pull up your documentation around it, if you're in a bonus structure, there's, it's always subject to be taken away. You know, there's, or there's some criteria you have to meet. Usually, you know, it's around your performance. Is your performance up to par? You know, are you meeting these expectations or exceeding them and things like that? Um, and so with that, you know, your bonus is based on so many different factors that it's never 100% guaranteed. And I've heard people say, especially when, I, when I've started a new company, like, oh, yeah, we, we've always gotten our bonuses. You know, it's, 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 you know, I can't guarantee it, but it's always happened. And then it's that one year that it doesn't happen. I remember a couple of years ago when COVID, or I guess that was last year, I feel like a couple of years ago when COVID first hit, you know, when March rolled around, you know, we got to the end of the year or end of our fiscal year and everybody was told, well, you won't be getting bonuses because, you know, we've had to cut back. You know, we've also, you know, at that, at that company, I got semi furloughed, you know, I was getting like 15% of my check taken away. So we were operating on 85% of my salary for a while. And, you know, the blessing in that is we never lost, we never missed a beat. You know, we kept doing our normal stuff. Um, you know, my wife got to a place where she was just like, yeah, you know, we actually didn't miss any of that money. So what did that tell me? You know, it just hit me with that, but it's possible that we could live off of 85% of my check. Now we tithe, so you know ten percent off the top is always gone. So you think about that. I got fifteen percent taken away from me, and got you know we tithe ten percent, and you know that's the bare minimum. You know that doesn't get, go with any of our other given. So just off of that, you know we're we're twenty five percent down on my salary. Now think about this: what if I took that and said, okay, we can we can make it. And it wasn't a struggle. We didn't we didn't miss any meals. We were still going grocery shopping. We were still doing events and activities with our children and different stuff for that time. Because, I mean, it was probably about a six month period or so that this happened. You know, so what if, you know, here's that what if. What if I I chose to say we're going to take 25 percent of my the gross that I had coming in for my checks and we're going to reallocate that money once you know when I you know knowing that I can do what we can do it I can reallocate that money to go towards investing you know how what position would I be in in the course of what would my family and I be in from a course of a year of doing that you know but that's something to think about now we didn't survive with less money for me because because my wife was getting paid 50 percent less for a shorter time, it wasn't six months, but still, that's a, that's a good period of time. But what it taught us is one that our jobs aren't our source. That's that if, if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's taught me that God is my truly my source. That the jobs are a resource, 
And it's a blessing that, you know, the jobs that we've had and had the ability to do them and get paid, we've been able to get paid. That's a blessing. I don't want to sound um, unappreciative of it, but it is the, you know, it is the, it is basic facts that, you know, you know, it, it, it wasn't a situation that we were happy about, but God blessed us through the way we didn't miss a beat. We still gave like we normally gave or give, you know, we, 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 and I say giving from a kingdom standpoint in our church, we still gave because we know that there was blessing in the seed and God increased us. And then the money, you know, when, at the end of the year, when they brought it back, you know, it was just like, wow, we got a little bump up here, but we didn't go and start spending it. You know, we did start investing. That was around the time that we probably really started getting into an investment because that was right around the time I really got into the stock stuff. So, you know, <clears throat> the timing was important. But I, I say all of this to say, you know, those are pitfalls you don't want to run into. Those are those emotional things, you know. Um, you know, I feel deprived, so I, I got to keep up with the Joneses or I've, I've deserved this or, you know, that you only live once mentality. That stuff is not going or that that mindset and those emotions are not going to take us to where we need to go. So that's why you have to take that out when it comes to financial. You you have to be smart. You have to be strategic. Can't be emotional. Because there's no emotions with money. And if you do those things and apply discipline with your faith, then God is going to bless that at a totally different place. And you'll find out that you're doing so much more with less because God is is blessing it along the way. And if you continue to be smart like that, continue to give and continue to um, position yourself to receive, you know, there's a sky's the limit on that, on what you can get and what you can earn. So kind of this last piece, you know, I just want to touch upon just just really be smart with managing your money. First, you got to understand that you know what you know. You know what you know and you know what you don't know. And some people struggle with that. Some people struggle with not admitting that they don't know certain things. Um, and, you know, I'm a person that will research it and, and form and try to form an educated opinion around the research that I did. But there's some things I just say, you know what, I yield to this person or I yield to that person because they're the expert there. Like I can sit here, I'm sitting here talking about managing money, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, I would yield to my wife in a minute because she has a passion for it. I understand it, but she has a passion for managing finances. She has a passion for helping people to budget, you know, kind of coaching them with with money that that's what she has a passion for and I yield to that you know it's not because I'm too lazy to do it it's because she has a gift and I tell her all the time you know there's a gift in that and so when you have those situations uh, those are the people you have to go to you 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 got to be smart with your money and you can't pretend that you know everything you know you got to seek advice You, you definitely seek the advice and sometimes that, that comes from you have to pay somebody to help you. Everything ain't free. 
you know, you can read and do your own research and, and that may be just fine. You know, if you if you have the time to do that and truly read and research it, whatever that thing is, you know, when it's around just some, something you need money for or whatever, that is um, that is where you 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 do your own research. You seek advice and you read and, you know, you do your due diligence. You know, the other part about being smart with money is budgeting. And you've heard me talk about that several times. You know, I didn't realize how much a budget would help kind of give you a clearer picture about where you are. Because if you do a budget sheet right and you go through it, you're going to know how much money that you have coming in and you're going to know how much you have going out. The setup work sometimes can be challenging and there's tools out there that can help you sort of figure that stuff out. You know, Quicken has a whole bunch of different things that they can use, you know, but you know, ultimately you can get, there's, there's a ton of spreadsheets out there that are free. That basically is a budget sheet. And it asks you to list everything that you have on there from whether it's, you know, date nights, going to the movies, um, you know, sometimes they're putting under miscellaneous entertainment costs or something like that. But there's usually line items for you to fill out your budget um, and fill out what you have coming in, fill out what you uh, have going out. And then from there you calculate and, and now you have the, you know, you have kind of what your family's budget is. And I remember that for a while, for the longest time when my wife and I first got married, we were in the red and our spreadsheet, you know, it turned red. If you were, you know, if you weren't at the goal, you weren't where you needed to be from, a, you know, from, from your, you know, money you have coming in versus going out. So are you in the black or are you in the red? You know, are you negative when you get to the end of the month? Are you, you know, in, in a negative standing in the money that you have? Um, overall in your account or just the money that you have coming in because you always want to have more coming in than what you have going out. And if you don't, then, you know, it was it, it was really a red flag. But it also showed me how, again, how God blessed us because for the longest time when we first got married, we would sit there and be like, we did this budget and we're in the hole a couple hundred dollars each month. And, you know, it bugged the mess out of my wife because we were starting to start looking at, OK, what can we cut back on? What is a necessity versus what is a, you know, a true need? And what's the cost for those? And so it was a, again, it was a process. And then we got to a place where we start breaking even and we start having more coming in each month than we did that than we didn't have. And it was a good experience. and It was good practice and exercise because I mean you had to dig through you know online bank accounts you had to go through whatever subscription services and all this other stuff that you have and calculate what what money you and then put your salaries in what you're grossing um, I'm sorry what you're netting in each month uh, or every two weeks or however I think some of them break it down either bi-weekly or they break it down monthly but you have that total and you you can even have like an expected versus actual so I'm expected that I should have, you know, when when my, you know, for this two week period, when my check clears and all the bills go, I'm expected that I'm going to have X amount, but I actually only had this amount, you know, when you calculate everything together. And so that gives you sort of a visual into 
what you're doing and visual into your money and how you manage it. But it's important for managing the money. So budgeting is key. And pretty soon my wife is going to be uh, her service you know, will be open and available and she can help people with the budget. Because, again, like I said, she's very, very, very she's good at it and she is passionate about that. The other thing is, you know, you have to have an end goal in mind. What is your end goal for your finances and for your money? Is it for retirement? Is it financial independence from your employer? Are you at a place in your life where you like, you know, anything I do from a financial standpoint or anything I do with money is going to be to better the lives of my children, my grandchildren, you know, whatever other group or family members that you want to leave that with. Um, you know, you, but, but that's the, you have to understand what that goal is. If you say my goal is to be rich, that is so subjective. If you say my goal is to be a millionaire by, you know, this date next year. Okay. That's a goal. Now let's map out. How do you get there? How do you get your net worth to be a million dollars? What is that? What is it? Well, first of all, you need to know where you're at now. Um, and it's some legwork. You know, you you have to go through and pull up everything and figure out this is where we are. This is where we're at today. And again, that is that is part of, you know, doing the research, educating yourself, knowing where you are. Now, you can pay somebody to do the same thing. You can pay somebody to go out there and pull in all your bank statements and look at you know, all your bills and things like that and say, OK, you spent this much this year or you, you've you've done this or you've done that with your money. Um, you know. And, and it helps you to figure out where you're at for your goal. They'll do they'll work with you to create that net worth. They look at everything, not just how much income you come hey, have coming in. If you own a cars, if you own houses, you know, they, they dig into it. They want to get you as close as possible so you know what you're working with. But again, it's about planning, it's about writing down, it's about having the 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 mindset of setting a goal. If your goal is just I want to have enough money to retire off of, well, you know, you pick different questions to be asked. Have you done a 401k or 403b or are you in an IRA anywhere? You know, and how much are you contributing to that? You know, the the last few that I've done, I've been a part of Charles Schwab and Fidelity, those places. They have tools that will tell you based off of your salary and where you're at right now, you need to be paying this much a month into your, you know, whatever this account, whether it's IRA or 401k or 403b, whatever. You know, they're going to be able to tell you like, well, you know, this is. You're, you're paying, you're paying, you're going to pay a lot more or you're going to not pay a lot more. You're going to be in a situation where, you know, you're not able to really understand. Um, you're not going to be able to understand where you're at because you, you haven't, you haven't taken the opportunity to really figure out what that is. And so you can, like I said, you can pay somebody to do it and they'll do it. And, you know, that is a, a map. That's kind of a mile marker for you. Now I know this is what my net worth is. And if my goal is to be a millionaire or to be a millionaire by this point, so I want to be my net worth to be a million dollars and it is liquid. It doesn't have to be what you have in the account, but just overall, you know, with all my assets outweighing my, my assets outweigh my, my liabilities. I'm a millionaire. 
And some people be surprised, you know, because you have to take in consideration your house and everything else. But some people be surprised they're not far from where they should be. They may not be close, but they're not far. But it helps you plan because you start looking at it like, man, you know, I really, I really was, I'm close or I'm far off, but now I know I need to make some changes. And it's not going to happen just based off of, okay, I did that. I, I figured out what my net worth is. Okay. Got my net, my net worth down. I'm good. My net worth is only $50,000. I said by next year, I got to be at a million dollars. Well, you're not going to, if you're not into investing and all the other good stuff, there's nothing that you're going to be able to save up that's going to get you to a million dollars. So now you've got to let your money do the work for you. You can't go out of there. You can go out. I don't think there's going to be a job that you're going to be able to get a secondary job that's going to pay you enough to make you a million dollars. Now, it can pay you enough to invest if that was if that's if that's one of the things that you need to look at you may not make enough on your current job with all the other things that you're responsible for to really put a decent amount of money into investing and that's okay but you can start but you got to start somewhere put yourself in a position to start somewhere and i, and I think if you get to that place it, it it's Again, you know, it, it's where you start. It's not it's not where you're going. You get started. Once you get started, you, you got a goal. God is going to bless you more on the way than when you started. But you got to get going. You can't sit stagnant. So, like I said, have an end goal in mind. The other thing is leverage your credit wisely. Basic, basic, basic. If the value of the item that you're going to buy on credit exceeds the interest that you are paying, then it's wise. It's it's a wise piece of property or it's a wise thing to buy at that point. So I'm going to repeat that. If the value of the item that you are buying on credit exceeds the interest that you are paying, then it's a wise thing to get. So if you got low interest, you know, with with your interest payments and everything goes, the value of that item is still going to be higher than what your you know overall interest. If you paid it off in in the time frame that you that you agreed to, with the interest and the value of that item is still more than that, then it's worth it. Because that means you're going to get you're going to get a profit off of that in return. But if it's not. You know, then don't waste it. That's why you ever, always hear people say never buy depreciate depreciating assets on credit. That's why car notes are really not a good thing. But the average person can't buy car cash. But you, you lose value on that car. And everybody says it as soon as that car, as soon as you put a mile on that car. Why do you think companies do? You know that the pet the if you work for an auto company they can do a pet program, which basically they have some of the somebody within the company that's a higher up or somebody that wins a contest they get to drive they drive around the car that that you you may be getting they drive it around put some miles on it for a little bit you know let the value decrease down and then you know the employees will be able to to get that particular vehicle you know with a lower value because they they've driven it. 
once you once you drive it off the lot and so they're driving it to their homes they're using it for their personal their personal vehicle for a short time and then when they're done when that time is over then the the value of the the vehicle is reassessed and then you know they tell you what your payment's going to be at that point with based off the value of the vehicle how many miles they put on this that and the other so again understanding that you never buy a depreciating asset on credit you don't that that's that's financing basically or you know buying something that is not worth it on a credit card i mean people do it all the time you put something on a credit card that really doesn't have a value a really good value to it and your credit if you you know if you don't pay your credit cards within a timely fashion sometimes they offer you those those zero or 30 days you know zero percent or no cash zero percent no interest i'm sorry <clears throat> and even with those um you know if you don't pay it off you see this balloon interest payment jump in there you don't pay it off in that 30 days they're gonna start tacking on like 20 some percent you're like you get your first bill after that 30 days like i need to pay it off you paid off a little bit and it's like gosh and so now it's just accumulating all of this interest because you put something on credit you know that's why credit can be good and can be bad you know you leverage it wisely or you don't or you know you learn not to use it you have to do cash and carry So it's it's definitely something that, you know, you have to be careful with, you know, and, and managing money is, is just it is it is important. If a teacher can, if a teacher can become a millionaire, then why can't, you know, somebody who works in a field that may not be a teacher, but they make more than a teacher? You know, do you have to adjust how you live? Do you have to adjust? you know, your faith. Do you have to adjust, you know, mostly probably how you manage money because you spend money like that check is going to always be there. And it's kind of how some of the, how professional athletes do when they have these big stories about they live even after they retire or they renegotiate their contract and they're not making as much as they were before. Maybe their, their, their value as a, for as a player has dropped and and now the 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 field out there for people who are interested is dropping and the amount of money that they're willing to offer is dropping so now what do you do you know what do you do in that situation because you, you can't keep living like you were making that one bit contract but most of them do they keep living like they're making the big max value salaries, you know, contracts, but they're not there. They're mid-level, but they're living like that. So of course their money, they're bleeding through cash. No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Don't put yourself in a position to where you are spending, you know, you're doing things with your money that it's not meant to do. That's why the teacher can be a millionaire. And that's why the doctors, you know, are not at the top of that list. And it's a sacrifice for a short time. And it can be a really short time if you're if you're very wise in how you invest. So I'm going to leave you guys with a few quotes um, because I think that's a lot to chew on. And it, this was really about just adjusting your mindset to managing money. 
So the first quote is, it says, money moves from those who do not manage money to those who do. And that's a Dave Ramsey quote, quote, for those that don't know who Dave Ramsey is. They may not agree with his political stance and they may not agree with um, a lot of things that he does, but he, he, he the, the money management tips that he gives, they're, they're solid. You know, they're not groundbreaking things that you may not have heard. You may have heard from may not have heard from other people. You may have. But he is in his element with a lot of this stuff and he gives a lot of good information. And that quote is a good quote. And I will say it again. Money moves from those who do not manage to those who do. So if you don't manage your money, you know, people talk about, oh, I win the lottery. And once I win the Powerball, win all these billions of dollars, I'll be great. And majority of them go broke in a couple of years. Because they never knew how to manage it in the first place. And when you get a whole bunch of it, all you're going to do is spend it. So people who are who know how to manage it, like I said, they're just going to take it and, you know, get it and use it for their good. Be smart. Know how to manage money. Another quote is those who do not manage their money will always work for those that do. Manage your money. You know, you, you want to be. A boss, you know, here I see that all the time. People, I want to be a boss. I want to be a boss. Now, you may have great ideas, great product, great everything, but if you suck at managing your money, you're gonna always be a slave to somebody else. You'll always be an employee, an employee. You got to put yourself in a position where you're making, you can make the money and you can make it grow. It's one thing to make it, but if you're not helping it to grow, you'll reach a place of stagnation, and that's not good. So remember, those who do not manage their money will always work for those that do. And then my last quote is from, you know, a guy that I definitely, you know, followed a lot of his, the things that he's done in his career, read his book, which most people have heard of, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Robert Kiyosaki. And his quote is, one of his quotes is, if you don't know how to care for money, money will stay away from you. Kind of like a child or a pet. You know, if you don't, if you're, if you don't treat the pet right or you don't treat your trial right, eventually, you know, they get old enough, they, they you start to repel them. They don't want to be around you. And that's what happens with money. Money is definitely, you know, you have to know how to handle it. If you don't know how to deal with it properly, it's like it's like a, a, a relationship. If you don't know how to, to take care of your significant other and treat them the way they need to be treated and, um, and, and handle them and care for them properly, they're going to leave and they won't come back. And that's how it is with money. Until you, you learn how to treat money right, you can't, you're not going to gain it. You're not going to be, or you'll get some, but you won't be able to sustain it. You'll have them for a short season, but it'll all be gone. And the expectation would be, yeah, that, that money is, you know, somebody will come and be like that. That money is, you know, you had all this money and it's gone. Why is it gone? Well, look at the look at the decisions you made. And that's tough. It's tough to hear that. It's tough to see that. But, you know, so many people have, have lost so much money off of making bad decisions and not managing it properly. You know, so. One of the biggest things I want to leave you with it is, is it, it's not how much you make it's how you manage what you have, because if you can manage it and then you get increases then you'll be able to either reduce your debt fast or invest it right and grow it 
that's when it that's what's going to take you to be a millionaire it's not that i make more money now so i'm gonna go to the the, the corner store and buy more scratch-off tickets because i got extra money to budget for that and then one day i'll be a millionaire that's that's not how it's gonna work could you possibly do that sure but that is not how it's how it works you're just basically gambling at that point and there's been times i've grabbed some scratch-offs i had 20 dollars here and there i'm like you know what i'm gonna go buy a couple scratch-offs and i'll do it you know, I may win a ticket here, a couple of dollars there, but I've never just looked at it and really just got my money's worth out of it. I just do it as a thing. It's like the times I've been to Vegas. I'm not a gambler. I play a couple. I play like twenty dollars in the slot machine just to play it, and I walk away. And I have no problem. The thing about me is I have no problem walking away from the table, or walking away from the machine. I'm I'm good. I'm I've, I've I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm I've done that. I'm good. I don't, I don't have to play. I don't get caught into that place because, you know, I care about my money. I don't love my money. I don't love it to where, I, you know, it, it is. It becomes the root of all evil. Um, but I definitely care and make sure I want to make sure that I'm not wasting money on that. On things that, I, that you know, it, it, that's a chance, a game of chance. I don't want to play a game of chance. I want to be smart and strategic with it. So, as always... I appreciate you guys listening into some of what I'm saying. You know, hopefully I didn't come off as a rant for some of it um, because a lot of it, again, I always, when I speak about this stuff, I, a lot of times I'm, I'm talking to myself or I'm talking to the former me and my wife is probably li- will listen to this episode and she will shake her head like, yeah, that, that that's Ricky. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, I did a lot of things and she mentioned that in the first episode or the episode when she was on here. Um, and she, you know, I talked about, you know, she talked about when I would buy stuff, I would always go big, you know? So I remember when I got my credit decent and she helped me do that, but I got my credit to be pretty good. And there's a store here called HH Greg. And so, you know, she, she got her apartment. Uh, she had graduated from school, got her apartment and, you know, she was living out in, um, you know, a little bit away from where I lived. And but she got her own little nice apartment is because she started working at Saturn in, in in a city called Spring Hill, Tennessee. And her apartment was in Franklin, Tennessee. And so, you know, she wanted a nice TV. So she had went out of town. And, you know, I'm sitting here saying, like, I got this credit card. And, you know, I had I had just got this H.H. grade credit card, too. And didn't have anything on it or I may have gotten something and we paid it off. And I said, you know what? I'm going to surprise her. And so what I did, and I shouldn't have, you know, I had a key to her apartment. I went to H.H. Greg. I found this TV that she wanted. I bought this big Sony, you know, one of those floor models, those floor TVs that was back then was top of the line. Uh, I think it was about 40, maybe bigger than that. I think it was bigger than that. It was like maybe 50 inches or something like that or 40 something inches. It was a pretty big floor model TV. Had the nice little stand with the cabinet and everything. Look good. Bought that for her. When she came back, she was like so excited. Like, oh, that was nice. But it took me forever to pay that off. Now, I was bad at managing credit card payments. Sometimes it wasn't because I didn't have the money. It's just because I, I would just forget to pay it. And they would call and I would go make a payment. And next thing you know, I'm getting late fees. And, you know, I had to call and tell them like, hey, you know, do I can I get some forgiveness on this one pay, this late fee and get it removed? And they'll do that sometimes. And 
I was paying for that TV forever. And those were the moments that I, I knew that, you know, I would mess up. Like I put too much on my credit. I just like, I got credit. I'm going to just pay for it. And I just got decent enough credit where I can start doing stuff like that or, or using or getting credit cards. Like at first I couldn't even get a credit card. So I'm, I'm sharing these stories to let you guys know I'm not sitting here behind this microphone on this podcast telling you this stuff um, coming from a place where I didn't experience it. I've experienced a lot of this. I've made bad money decisions and I've learned over the years. I've experienced that and I've learned. So I don't go and just charge up stuff without having, you know, or buy something on credit card. I'm not going to pay off like within the first 30 days before the cycle hits. You know, I, I pay it off right when this bill comes out. I pay it. It cycles. So that way, you know, it hits the credit and it shows a payment. And now I'm good. My credit score is, you know, is is excellent. Now, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been, you know, from if I would have thought 20 years ago that I was going to have excellent credit score, I probably told you, no, not the way I do things. But it's different. So, again, I thank you all for listening um, I, I really, really want to get, you know, continue to get feedback. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that this and not only the transparency that I'm sharing in some of these stories, but just the information that's being shared. I'm really hoping that it's helping you because like I said, it helps me and it, it keep it reminds me, um, of where I've been and, and where I'm going, where I'm at right now. And some of these things that I, that I desire, you know, in terms of our fa- financial situation and understanding that the end goal is one, have an end goal and have it written down. What is your end goal? Is your end goal to be, is, it, it can't just be, I want to be rich because rich is so subjective. What do you want to be, you know, from a financial standpoint, is it that freedom? Is it that ability to, to go to work knowing that you don't have to necessarily be there to pay your bills? You know, it, it, it's a different mindset, you know, understanding that faith is, you know, your, your faith is is important in this process. But just knowing, like, I've been blessed enough. I've got income coming in from all these other places where my job that I'm working, I can walk away from it and we're st- we won't miss a beat. Now, some people will say, well, you just stay as long as you can pay off some more stuff or put some money, invest in some of that, some of those checks. If you don't have to use your work check, you know, to pay your bills, then invest it for a while. Say, stay in that position, stay at that company, you know, do your job and invest it. That's a different mindset, but it's just a thought process of, I don't have to work to pay my bills. Now your faith, some people's faith is just big where God is, you know, they, they, they're putting their faith out there and they're seeing God deliver and, and bring forth things. Not that they're lazy, but they're like, I'm going to change my career. I'm going to take a pay cut to do something I really like to do. And they find out that they're doing better with that career change than what they were, you know, working the job where they were making a six figure salary. Like who does that? But that's different. That's hearing the voice of God. So, um, as always, we are going to be back with another episode next week. Um, I'm really looking forward to continuing this journey on. This is episode nine. Next week will be episode 10. So I'm excited about that to make it to episode 10. Um, I read a stat that said most podcasts stop within episodes five to seven, something like that. So 
I've already kind of broken that threshold. Um, but I appreciate all the feedback. Uh, and I say that every, at the end of every episode, I, I appreciate the feedback, but I look forward to hearing more. If there are other things that you want to talk, hear, you know, stuff about, or if there's, again, if there's people that you would think would be good on this podcast, you know, by this point, I, I think the listeners that the one the ones of you who have been a part of this know what I'm going through or know what I'm going for with this podcast. This isn't a gossip show. This isn't a, um, you know, a show to down anybody. This is a show to help uplift, um, inform and inspire people. And that's in, in every way. It's not just about money. It's not just about, you know, your spirit. It's, it's all of that prosper in every way of your life. So, Please, any feedback, you know, any any time you want to reach out, you can reach out at airflowpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's airflowpodcast, H-E-I-R-F-L-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com or at gmail.com. If you want to check out other episodes of the website of the podcast, those are available through the various podcasting platforms, including Google, iHeart, Apple, um, Amazon, um, and there's plenty of others, or you can go directly to the website, which is airflowpodcast.com. That's H-E-I-R-F-L-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. So as always, again, managing your money is just part of the process, but it's part of the process of being the heir that you were created to be. And as an heir, you know that you are created to flow. So go and flow. Flow.